So Chris, welcome to Podcast Belgrade, episode 127. My name is Russell, I had the very great pleasure of uh, just outside Cross Hands, uh, Lewis Eldred. How are you, sir? Pleasure to be here. Pleasure speaking to you. A little stocking filler for the festive period. We're talking about your master's thesis, and it's titled An Examination of the Relationship between national identity and sport in Wales. Uh, and I remember being one of the interviewees, and I'm sure there's probably plenty of people listening to this who were also interviewed. And if 19,000 or 19,600 word theses aren't everybody's cup of tea, then hopefully this is an opportunity just to distill uh, you know, your overall findings, the conclusions, uh, into some maybe a little bit more accessible for people, uh, and particularly those you know they contributed to the, to the work. But uh, before we get into that, Lewis, what do people need to know about you? Yeah, basically, um, from very side, luckily went to university in the northeast of England to do sports science. And I went to uni in 2015. So the political events since then have slightly pushed me towards doing a master's then in Welsh government and politics. And when I had the opportunity to do a master's in Cardiff, I decided, well, how could I combine these two degrees together and put my two sort of passions together and here I am with a 19,000 words on the relationship between national identity and sport in Wales. Yeah. Which is completed. So congratulations on completing the Masters. The data was collated. Uh, so the interviews and, and the other sort of methodologies employed were sort of summer of 2018, wasn't it? So is it fair to say that we were still, as members of the Red Wall, notwithstanding the, the failure to qualify for the 28 we'll, 2018 World Cup, but still in 2016, very fresh um, even fresher than it is now in people's minds. Yeah, I, I would say so. And, um, you know, it was sort of a case of new manager in, at the helm. Things were still looking pretty positive. We had um, young players coming through. Like, I remember the Panama game where we had the three young players coming on, in, um, David Brooks and Ampadu, and, you know, just amazing players coming through. And we thought the future's still bright with the squad um maybe as a, as a disclaimer i mean what's your relationship then to football in wales to rugby in wales to the national teams of both you know where, where you know what's your connection with all of that for me you know growing up until i guess it wasn't until secondary school i started playing rugby so it was me it was football was the only thing we ever did uh, very side you know command chair and then luckily <laughs> the school rugby side was uh, short on players. I got asked to play along there, and then the rest of history sort of that was the, the sport then for me. And I was lucky to represent the, the county and uh, do some age grade stuff with the Scarlets as well. That's basically my sporting you know, relationship with football and rugby. And I've always jo- enjoyed going to both events. So, you know, the Toshak years, when, especially when we had games in Park Scarlets, you know, I would always go down regardless of who you're playing on the standard of football or whatever. And then I guess over time, it's been more of a case of going more to the football than the rugby, purely on, I would say, price and um, the product at the end of the day of what, what's on the pitch and the atmosphere there, I guess. So, yeah. You know, I can remember it being a fairly sort of semi-structured interview. You had some set questions, but it was an opportunity for me to really kind of express my, um, you know, my experiences with all of this. And... I wonder, and again, maybe this is a useful starting point, I wonder whether maybe the results would be slightly surprising to people in the red wall, that there's not quite the, the, the chasm as perhaps sometimes on, on Twitter, such as it, as, as it is, quite the chasm between the two fan bases as perhaps sometimes gets made out. Would that be fair? 
Yeah, and I'd say so. When I was um, getting these interviews out, especially on Twitter, it was really easy to get around that red wall for the football. Mm. Whereas with rugby, it was a lot harder to get to disseminate the, the questions, find people to interview as well. Okay. Um, and it was mainly through Facebook groups, I think, in the end, that I got most of those interviews out. Um, and you shared it on Twitter, um, a thread that I think is really helpful. I'll make a link in the show notes as well to uh, serve sort of graphics, again, just you know, easily, easily digestible. There are some similarities in terms of um, concepts of identity, expressions of identity, political allegiances, um, things like that. But it does get, there's a sense to me that perhaps they're more vocalised and, and more clearly articulated within a football context than than within a rugby and maybe that what you've just said there in terms of the the ease around getting simply the questionnaire out almost reflects that that there's almost clearer conduits then to express those views whereas in rugby it's a little bit more i don't know a little bit more fragmented or a little bit more um regional or what i, I, I don't know what the reason would be yeah yeah i just found it with the football supporters they're more open to having the conversations around what it is to be welsh how we are governed, those sort of questions. Whereas I think, especially when you go to a a rugby clubhouse, the conversations there are more about what's going on at the UK level in terms of politics, or at least it's either the rugby or the UK stuff. There's very, very little uh, discussion about, you know, what's going on in Cardiff Bay in the Senate with the Welsh government. And if this is in spite of what we've all been going through in the last two years with this pandemic, where light hasn't been shone so much on devolution than it has you know, recently. So the national identity then of supporters in both fan bases was a fairly big difference, I would say, between those in football and rugby who identify as Welsh, not British. And then to sort of throw in maybe more Welsh than British, you know, those two categories account for the vast majority of the fan base in both sports, it's fair to say. But 63% of your respondents identify as Welsh, not British in football, whereas 46% in rugby. With that one, it was purely just the question on the Moreno scale from uh, Welsh, not British, through to British, not Welsh, or you know, then you say none of these or other. It, it's very hard then to compare this to the usual... Um, uh, surveys we get from YouGov, just because uh, I, th- I think because you are Welsh supporters, I think most people who go to these games already say with their red shirt on, I'm a Welsh person over anything else. So it wasn't too surprising when both set of fans were the majority of, I'm Welsh, not British. I would be you know, more shocked if someone said, oh, I'm more British, not Welsh, or more British than Welsh. I think it's, when we look at more in-depth with the likes of uh, the Welsh Rugby Union, and um, the Welsh national team in rugby, I think the emblems, the sort of the the part and parcel of the the day event in the Six Nations at home games with the army involved and that sort of stuff, you get more of a sense of this is more than just being Welsh here. This is a larger UK wide sort of thing of the three feathers and your chest, that sort of stuff. So when when there is that equally Welsh and British with um, the rugby supporters, that, you know, that was the third largest group with the 18% compared to only nine with, with the football. So, yeah, it was that sort of stuff we were picking up from not only the, the first question of this survey that we sent out, but it was um, also picked up in later open questions, I guess, yeah. Mm. And what was interesting is those signifiers then of Welsh identity, 
There's quite marked differences between some of the different things that were mentioned. So I like, I like this one sort of, you know, daffodils and leeks, far less so in, in, in football, but, but more so in rugby. What's interesting is that rugby itself as a game, not unsurprisingly amongst the rugby fraternity, is a, is a very strong element of Welsh identity, but was also cited as such amongst football fans to a decent number as well, which is interesting. You know, things like S4C, poetry, things like that. It was quite quite interesting some of the some of the distinctions between well the contrasts between the, the two um, two fan bases. Yeah, and I guess with, with that question, it, it, you know, I gave a few examples, and um, they were quite similar for like the top three. So we're talking the national anthem, Welsh language, and then where they started to diversify then was on the cultural stuff. Mm-hmm. So for the football fans, they were picking up on, um, say, David's Day, Stadford, where you get to see more of the Welsh language in use, and then with the rugby fans, that, yeah, they obviously went big on rugby. But then the football, like you said, the football fans also said, well, you know, rugby is kind of an identifier of Welsh identity. And, uh, you know, I put it down to just the legacy of success and dating back from, let's say, 1905, where that famous Welsh rugby side beat the All Blacks and then set it almost as the national sport of Wales. And then since then, eras of success, but more consistent than, say, football has been over the last you know, 100 years. But it's not the same, is it? Amongst you know, when you when you flip that, you know, rugby fraternity isn't citing football anywhere near to the same extent as the football is recognised in yeah. rugby, which is which is interesting. But, uh, it would be misrepresentation to say that politics was you know high amongst the answers in amongst either fan bases. But again, it was a bit of a difference between the football and the the rugby. So this again, this sense that the football crowd is a little bit more politicised. And a little bit more political in, in expression and outlook. Yeah, and I went on to then ask them about how they voted at the previous uh, devolved election, just to get a better idea of how they would actually vote in these you know situations. So this was the Welsh Assembly election in 2016. Again, they weren't too dissimilar, but where they did mark the difference was, you know, 50% of football supporters were in favour uh, voted Clyde, and then 20% Labour, and then 20% didn't vote at all. Whereas with uh, rugby supporters, it was a th- basically a third applied, twenty eight percent Labour, mm-hmm. and then a quarter of that of them just didn't vote. Yeah, which is interesting. We, we still have an issue with devolved elections in Wales where we can't get over fifty percent. So I would say that the uh, rugby supporters I questioned are closer to more of a national populace in in that scenario. But um, it's interesting. One in five and one in four, basically, um, football and rugby supporters, uh, respectively, don't vote at all. So if they were to make the effort at the ballot box, um, then um, it'd be interesting to see where those votes would end up end up going. But again, quite quite marked in terms of the, the 50% versus 34% amongst football and rugby voting for mm. Ply Cymru. It's fairly consistent with the, the Conservatives and the Lib Dems and, and other parties, yeah. wasn't it? You know, as well, when we do have sporting success in Wales... It's always showcased at the Senate. Mm. So you'll see the rugby team with their Six Nations trophy. You'll see Gary Thomas. You you know, and I think when it was the Euros, yes, we had the parade, uh, parade around Cardiff. But I can't quite remember them being on the Senate steps in the same way. Might be wrong on that, but you know, it doesn't stand out in my memory. Uh, to what extent then? I mean, I know with 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 the the return of fans to the games at Cardiff City, there's been a, a resumption. Of the the marches from Womanby Street out to the ground, 
organised by the, the Welsh Indies sort of football fan sort of grouping. There was no need to march for anywhere in the city centre to the Millennium Stadium for, for Welsh rugby games, I don't suppose. Not on the same scale. But again, you know, that has been a quite a vocal addition, I suppose, to the Red Wall. Not an addition, an element then of the Red Wall. And to what extent is there a similar, maybe sort of more overtly Welsh nationalistic expression of how we are governed? So, so similar in respect to what you just said around you know, the voting pattern to the satisfaction with current arrangements for devolution and governance through to you know, fewer powers, greater powers, independence, getting rid of it and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, so, so with the, the Welsh football fans, the majority, again, were in favour of independence of 52%, followed by 34% for more powers to the Senate. With the rugby fans, they're still... A large majority, the, the largest majority, was for more powers to the Senate, um, which is the pretty much the consensus at the moment in you know Welsh wide polling mm. is is either more powers or keep them the same, and I think I think it is a fifty percent there, so thirteen percent uh, powers the same, thirty seven percent more powers with the rugby supporters, and then there was a thirty seven percent in favour of uh, independence. There was, and this is larger than the Welsh football fans, but there was 5% who um, believed the Welsh Assembly should be abolished. Um, you know, and, and that was, you know, uh, bashed at the, uh, the ballot box uh, of the 2021 elections. But it was interesting to see that there was a little section there with the rugby fans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think I think people would, in terms of on the independence question, and I think maybe some Wales fans, as I said, going back to my opening remark, might be a little bit surprised at the size of the, the you know the percentage of respondents in favour of that amongst the rugby fraternity, thirty six percent, in the way it's portrayed often. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's just a case of, especially on our social media platforms, Twitter especially, you know, the Welsh football fans are very vocal and they're good on them, basically, but these rugby fans are more likely to be on. I would say Facebook, more of your rugby club situation mm. rather than personal Twitter accounts being very vocal on the like football fans. I mean, I would always defer um, to the political scientists and experts in political science like yourself, and certainly compared to me. But there's that notion, isn't there, that, you know, I, I guess, you know, you look at rugby then in Wales, you know, the Valley's heartlands, not exclusively, but you've got that, uh, you know, Carmarthenshire as well, I, I suppose. But you've got that Valley's heartland where there's always that, there's also that sort of what tends to be described as a British Welsh identity, a position of Wales within, a, within well, traditionally an empire, within the union. And so if rugby is, if that is rugby's heartland, then there's a, uh, you know, it's it's, un- it's realistic to assume that there's going to be a, an expression along those lines. But I've got to be honest, looking at that, I was a little bit surprised at the percentage. But it comes back to this point as, well, okay, if you've got all of these very kind of, you know, monarchist, militarist expressions in and around the international event, I'm not saying it's necessarily the same at clubs, but at the Welsh Rugby Internationals, well, then it's maybe not going to be expressed enough or it is maybe a little bit more jarring. Unless, of course, I don't know, I mean, I'm contradicting myself now, is there more reason to articulate it because those are the symbolisms that are being put placed in front of you? It does It does feel to be an interesting sort of juxtaposition, really, that you've got those symbolism, high-profile symbols within Welsh rugby, yet, based on your research, there's not a, a hugely consistent you know, regard for those symbols amongst the, amongst the people in the stands. Yeah, so... I, I did as well as just, you know, looking at identity and sport. I wanted to get an idea of how both supporter groups were looking at how they perceive their governing bodies, so the FAW and the WIU. And basically, it, it was quite stark, the difference here between how 
football fans, especially, are looking at the FAW and saying, they get us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we get them. And it felt like they were being governed by, you know, supporters in a sense, who, especially since 2016, the Together Stronger, that sort of, you say it's marketing or PR, but it works. It works so well that we're still using it today. Whereas I feel like with WRU, and this is what we found of the research I did, was basically there's a, there's a big gap, big chasm between the supporters and the governing body. It's always going to be hard for them to be on, I guess, good terms with the supporters because you're governing the game, you're leading the game, you're also raising money for the, the community game and the professional side of stuff. So it's very hard to relate the two. But Yeah, because there's a fundamental difference, isn't it? Because the WOU manage the game lock, stock and barrel in Wales, whereas yes. yeah. I think it's fair to say the majority of people at the Cardiff City Stadium in a, in a full house scenario will have club allegiances outside of the Welsh system then. I'm not saying, you know, not yeah. Welsh clubs. There isn't the scope almost for the tensions to exist within how the FAW administers the, you know, the domestic game and how it manages to strike the balance between the domestic game and the and the, and the the national game and the national kind of tier because isn't frankly responsible for a large part of what, you know, Cardiff, Swansea, Newport, etc. are involved with, basically. I guess if you kind of flip that then, if it were to be different with, with Welsh football, with the domestic thing, and it, you know, it's clearly not going to be anytime soon, it's interesting to see whether some of that tension might, might return. And I think that's the point, isn't it? Because you know, if you speak to uh, certainly Newport County fans, Barry Town fans, you know, there's others out there, there's still a, a, a sort of like a simmering you know, resentment and a suspicion and a little bit of hostility towards the, the FAW because of what has happened in the last 20, 30 years with um with mm-hmm. with some of those clubs and where they've been you know forced to play or you know other decisions have been made yeah and to add on that as well you know the FAW have had difficulties in the last six seven months to do with the restructuring of the women's game mm, yeah um and there was some complaints there you know it went to the Senate it you know it became an issue that had to be dealt politically or you know dialogue had to uh, be built between constituency MSs and, and, and the FAW. But I think I think they're in a much better place than say the WRU. Mm. If I just give you some idea of like the themes that came up when I was talking to these uh, football and rugby fans. So for the, the football fans, I asked them, you know, do they feel represented? Yes, no, don't know. And and basically the, the football fans majority were yes, they do represent us, whereas rugby were a majority no. And then I said, you know, can you give me more understanding, more reasoning behind your your answer there? And basically, with the football fans, most of them were talking about the FAW were promoting inclusivity, promoting the Welsh language, understanding the fans, and then reflecting us as a nation mm-hmm. with their like top four or five there. Whereas with the rugby fans, the reasoning for their uh, perception of lack of um, representation by the WRU, they were talking about the association with monarchy its role to govern the Welsh rugby, like we mentioned earlier, and its association with Britishness. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very hard one for the WRU to win anyway. Oh, and they you know, obviously spoke about like how they're a money-driven organisation, but you know, at the end of the day, both, both organisations have to fund and govern the game. But there's a perception, especially, you know, I talk about ticket pricing. It's, it's much easier now to go as a family to watch the football than it is to go to the Principality Stadium to watch the rugby. Yeah. 
you know, the prices are astronomical on there. So, yeah, it was very interesting listening hundreds of uh, different answers to those questions on representation. I think it would be remiss of me to not point out, I don't see much reference to the women's game. And you brought up some of the difficulties that there's been with the restructure domestically. I do wonder whether, if you were questioning people today, you know, this week, now, whether the Mm. women's game um, in either code, but I'm inclined to think that maybe the women's game would probably figure a little bit more prominently in your research than it did two years ago when, uh, sorry, than it did three years ago when you were asking because of the strides that have been made both on and off the pitch with respect to the, the Welsh women's team. But what's also interesting is that, you know, I know there's been difficulties within women's rugby in Wales as well as to how it's administered and set up and structured and results on the pitch, etc. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, the only the major disappointment with this um, thesis that I did was basically I couldn't get as many women to you know answer the questionnaires and come back to me with more answers because yeah, well, especially with the women's football, you know, they would be coming on leaps and bounds in recent years, um, and I would love to do this all over again and get you know more data on it. It's a tricky situation. You know, FAW are really getting behind their women's side promoting it really well across all their platforms. Whereas I would say with the rugby, you can know, there's been recent efforts made, especially with Nigel Walker involved, and it's looking better than it has been. But it seems like a constant fight with the, the WRU to, to back the girls, really, and, and really take the team on. You know, we've had the offer of professional contracts to, to some players uh, in the Welsh side, which, which is, you know, a positive but it is, it is literally the smallest of steps to really take this team on and be competitive with uh, the other nations, especially the likes of England, New Zealand. This thesis being marked by Laura McAllister as well, you know, it was great to have someone supporting me and working with me when I was going through all this, uh, put this questionnaires and who to interview and put me in contact with so many leading figures in both football and rugby support groups, you know. And I think the data is being collated differently, but I think there would be an interesting comparison between the work you're doing and the work that Penny Miles is doing, Dr. Penny Miles, with the, well, two things, the sort of the red wall that follows the women's team, but also the the, the female experiences of being in the red wall of the men's game. And I think it's, it's important not to conflate the two. Uh, some of what she's done in terms of collating some of the stories dating back to, for example, you know, women's experiences of 2016 in France, but also since then, um, are, you know, including her own as well, uh, where sometimes she's been the only fan following uh, the Wales women's team in places like Belarus and, and Portugal and so on. Um, but but that I, it would be interesting to see, and I I I, I hazard a guess that there would be some similar expressions, you know, around identity, certainly some of the aspects around around language. But that's something that's well worth following with a different mm. hat on. Tim Hart and I have given, given hopefully given her a bit more of a platform to some of her work as well with the expert Well Gore back in June and, and some other plans that we've got for next year. All credit to Laura as well for, for her involvement, what she's involved in, how she is a figurehead, not only for, for the women's game, but also I think for the challenge to the quality of governance, quality mm. of governance of Wales, full stop, let alone governance of sports or governance of football. Mm. Invaluable, critical voice uh, is our Laura for sure. 100%, yeah. Welsh language, finally. I think a very key thing for me in my relationship and con- you know, connection with all of this sort of topic is was at the Eisteddfod in Cardiff Bay, the sort of like the open door one, if you like. Yeah. Um, and I can remember Ian Gwynne Hughes, Dylan Ebenezer and Owen Tyr Jones 
on like a little kind of bandstand, just doing a very informal Q&A about Together Stronger, about some of the marketing behind that, but also the role in which the players performed. And I think this is what you referred to earlier, but it, you know, yes, it's marketing and PR, but it, it became more than that. Mm. And I recall in Quinn Hughes referring to the way the players not just bought into it, but actually almost took it over themselves and started using the hashtag on their socials before the FAW was you know, instructing them to or, or, or asking them to or whatever. Really fascinating discussion. And again, it, a lot of it hinged around, notwithstanding that's a nice Deathford audience, but it, a lot of it hinged around, well, actually, you know, this is part of the, the fan base. It always has been a, you know, a very core element, both in terms of proportion and in terms of volume of the, of the fan base. And the, just the naturalness of it mm. within the fan base. So tell us a little bit more about the findings in relation to to uh, to Kamraig. So we asked all all supporters, football and rugby, um, their views on the importance of the Welsh language to their identity. And basically, both of them said, "Yeah, very important." But with the rugby, it was I think they had that a slightly higher on the not very important or not at all important. If we we'll start on the negative stuff first, but then we'll come back to the more positive stuff. So, so with the rugby fans, once once they gave their answer, they asked for more detail on the themes of the role of the Welsh language playing in expressing their identity. And most of them came back with stuff such as uh, not at all, a minor role, almost irrelevant to me, uh, you know, personal identity of these rugby supporters. Whereas for the mm. football supporters, they, you know, they said... It's a major role. It's more part of my identity. It's important to them, and it's quite distinctive. Obviously, as well with this um, thesis, I, I got to interview uh, some really exciting people involved in both football and rugby. So, whenever I was getting these interviews done, it was always talking about yes, the FAW are doing this, but it's, it's a marked contrast to what's going on with the rugby because along you know, the rugby will be more successful, but. In terms of that relationship with with their fan base, it's not as good as the FAW is currently, I would say. At the Euros, when they were opening some of the press conferences in Welsh, that does more for the language than any Welsh language campaign. That's just the platform and exposure you get. On social media, they're inclusive and they put the messages out in English and Welsh, which is in contrast to the WRU. I also spoke to Hugh Jones, former CEO of Sports Wales, who was also... At this time of the interview, he was involved with the Cardiff Rugby Trust. And he was talking about how, what his perception of um, whether it was indifference for support or lack of support of Welsh language by the WRU. And he, he basically said they haven't promoted the Welsh language. He said, uh, they clearly do not utilise the Welsh language more than, I would say, in the last seven years. They probably did in the previous hundred. So like, there's more Welsh being used now, but it's still very, very small in comparison to what I think most to say, most fan base uh, players in the community would use more lang- Welsh language than, say, what had been put out by the Welsh uh, Rugby Union. And he spoke about how the upper echelons of the Welsh Rugby Union, apart from the representatives from, say, North Wales and West Wales, that they themselves weren't you know, using Welsh in their day-to-day work and the executive board and so on. So, yeah. It would be interesting to, to, to see, you know, you're going to do so much with the data that you, you collated, whether the expression around the Welsh language amongst the red wall in football is by 
you know, Welsh speakers, because I think there's always a very there's, there's always the danger of being a little bit reductive and thinking, well, you know, Welsh speakers are pro Welsh language, non Welsh speakers aren't, and that's clearly mm. not the case in yeah. general society. But it's the sense that actually whether it's it's recognised as being a core core part, and I think you know, I, my gut feeling is that I think it is recognised as a core part of the Welsh football fan experience and culture, irrespective of your competency in the language. Again, that's reductive in itself, Welsh speaker, non-Welsh speaker. There's shades of grey in between those two two points. And I think that's been expressed by, you know, people like Dan Evans, Article and Planet, he came on and did a podcast with us, you know, around the Wales away experience and just the naturalness of it's that t-shirt, isn't it? You know, some people speak Welsh, get over it. And that's just mm. how it is. The FAW just seemed to have not just recognised it, it's consciously invested in it. And I think has is gained that the return has gained a dividend on that. Yeah, and, and we also spoke about with these supporters about the representation of the, the players themselves. So when you look at um, with the football, I think it was Leon Barton I spoke to, and he basically spoke about how you had players from all across Wales. It wasn't just a South-North thing. You know, he had Wayne Hennessy, Neil Taylor, Gareth Bale, Joe Allen, all you know, rural cities all across Wales. And they also represent the difference in whether they speak Welsh, don't speak Welsh, but in the whole, most support Welsh, you know, they all speak, uh, well, they all uh, sing the national anthem now, don't they? I think it was, was it two years ago? Aaron Ramsey spoke Welsh again in, a, in an interview with, um, I think, Scotia. And mm. for me, that was massive because we know we could speak Welsh. But there's like thousands of people like Aaron Ramsey who could speak the language, just uh, don't have the confidence to use it. Yeah, and we know if we don't use it, we're going to lose it. And mm. it was amazing for I would say a good chunk of um, well, people like myself who can speak Welsh, but just don't have that confidence to get out there and use it when they leave school or whatever. You know? mm. And literally, given he's someone who has spent his whole adult life you know outside of Wales, pretty yeah. much, and uh, for the last couple of years outside of the UK. Given that uh, again, I mean, I think this is the received sort of wisdom, or this is the this is how the tale goes. He he took some flack on social media because of the standard of his Welsh when he was a young man doing interviews, and therefore kind of clammed up a little bit. Well, then, given that if that was the point where he was at towards the end of his school education, <laughs> having lived outside of Wales for so long, the competency with which he's using Welsh now suggests that maybe you know it wasn't too bad to begin with so um i, I digress but um yeah. i think that is a key point actually there's a lot of people who will see themselves in aaron rams i see myself in aaron ramsey probably a lot more than i credibly should but there's in terms of welsh language yeah. um there's a lot more who will see themselves in you know their competence and confidence as you said that key that key thing with with, with how he's conducted himself in recent months so it's a really good point i guess with the, the rugby as well less to do with the Welsh language, I, I, I guess. But I think rugby, especially since going professional, has found it pretty hard to market itself, especially with the regions and all the fallout from that sort of stuff. And I think the recent uh, events for Cardiff Rugby, putting on a side full of young players from, from Cardiff itself, from the premiership side, I don't think things have ever looked so good for them in terms of marketing you know, local boys playing for a local club, doing a great job for them. These are sort of comments picking up from uh, another podcast, the uh, Attacking Scrum, who I interviewed for this uh, thesis as well. And I think that the WRU can learn a hell of a lot from the FAW and the work that they've done in promoting the game and speaking to 
supporters and really been on on their side in sharing the game and you know embracing Welshness for what it is or, or what they perceive it to be. I guess you know, and and that's the thing as well. I, I, you know, I end this thesis basically saying that what it is to be Welsh, what it is to be Wales, is always changing. So it's always going to be the case for the likes of the FAW and WRU to really feedback and say what do we need to change to really show the changing Wales of today, tomorrow, and so on. So I think both can get a lot out of this thesis and what, what the fans are saying about them, but yeah, probably more so the WRU than the FAW at the moment. Quoted was it Leon Barton a bit earlier. He sounds an interesting fellow. We should we should get him on the podcast. <laughs> um, if anybody wanted to devour all nineteen thousand six hundred words of this, uh, Lewis, is it available online anywhere? Or uh, if you, do you want to leave your email for people to to, to get in touch, you can send it to them. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I'm pretty sure it's somewhere saved away in Cardiff Uni's uh, library somewhere. But um, yeah, if someone wants <laughs> to contact me, just DM me and I'll uh, I'll send something across. So what's your Twitter handle in? Uh, it's at Lewis Eldred. And that's E-L-D-R-E-D. Yeah. Lewis, absolute pleasure. What what next for you in terms of the studies? Uh, is this is this just done and dusted now and you get on with uh, with real life and not academic life? Or is this is it grown or has the potential to grow into something else? I'm not 100% sure. But, I, you know, I'd love to do a PhD or something like this. I'd, I'd love to do a PhD and really work with both those governing bodies to learn from them, to to help them, I guess, as well. But at the moment, I'm happy just living the West Whalian dream of uh, living out West. With some letters after your name. But it does strike yeah. me, isn't it, that you know there's a huge amount of richness within this data in terms of then maybe some of the, the things to do with gender, to do with race, ethnicity. I mean, you know, anybody hoping off the back of this, there's going to be some sort of, you know, 1904 type Welsh religious revival <laughs> will be severely disappointed, <laughs> yeah. you know, among, amongst both fan bases. There is much more richness available in this is data for sure, as well as, I think you know, the work the Penny's doing, as I said, it touches on this as, as well, more than touches, is around, you know, where the intersectionalities of these fan expressions and allegiances lie with things, as I said, like agenda, race, age, etc., yeah, I guess this is just like the start. I would love to see more people looking into similar issues around, yeah, you know, uh, race and and sex and, and all this sort of stuff. Building on the work that I've done, because when I was uh, writing this, there wasn't much out there. As as the thing with uh, Welsh politics, there's very few academics talking about it, so you're often. Uh, citing and talking to the same people um, so yeah to expand that and get more people involved would be fab yeah uh, shout out to the episode of the Heroith podcast probably from about two or three months ago that our rich went on uh, I think Martin Johns was on it Megan Faringa was on it as well from FC Cymru that again explores some of these issues as well um, in a little bit more depth so yeah but hoping to reciprocate that with, uh, with uh, Rich Martin coming on um, onto this podcast at some point that's been muted uh, a bit as well so uh, hopefully we'll find the time for that Lewis uh, it's a Sunday afternoon um, Christmas isn't too far away so I'll let you get back to you know your wrapping your, your eggnog whatever else it is you've uh, you've still got to do it's been an absolute pleasure and um, yeah look forward to you know as you said the, the work being built on I think um, and also as well I mean I, I find it a little bit crass and a bit simplistic sometimes the whole kind of you know rugby versus football kind of mm. debate and Twitter doesn't help it can do what Twitter does and it polarises things 
but it does seem to me, certainly with, in terms of the, the governing bodies, there does seem to be a lot that WRU could learn from, um, from the FAW on. But um, I guess it's also a challenge to a certain extent to the FAW not to, not to rest on its laurels, I suppose. Yeah, hundred percent. Lots to learn, but yeah, always enjoy talking about uh, football and rugby in Wales, especially, and to to do a masters on it and then get to talk about it again is just fab. So thanks for having me on. It's great. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. Do you have? Do you have?